one. Before we do that, let me just pray. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that uh, you've given us your word and we have your Holy Spirit that enables us to understand even what we're going to look at today. And We know that this is authoritative. This comes directly from you. These are not man's words. Uh, they're your words. But yes, you used a man like David. And we're thankful that you do use sinners like David and us to accomplish your purposes. So may we uh, be encouraged. May we be edified, exhorted. Uh, we would be instructed in righteousness so that we would be uh, complete. We'd be mature uh, and we would grow. And so we ask you to open our eyes to behold wonderful things from your word and that your word would be accurately and faithfully proclaimed today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 51 is going to answer this question for us today of what is genuine, true repentance? What is repentance? Well, we're going to see that in the text. Psalm 51 is one of the most graphic pictures of confession of sin found anywhere in the Bible, I, I believe anyway. This particular psalm contains David's humble prayer for forgiveness as he sought cleansing from God after this massive moral breakdown in his own life. Yeah, he was described as a man after God's own heart, but he wasn't perfect, just as you and I are not perfect. And as the heading in your Bible suggests, although headings are not inspired of God, it does suggest it was written after David's sin of adultery with a woman named Bathsheba, which followed uh, by the sin of murder against Bathsheba's husband Uriah. So you can read about that in 2 Samuel chapter 11, which we're not going to really look at today. But the Bible doesn't gloss over this sin, does it? And so it was about a year after this particular sin of adultery and murder that David directed, uh, that I should say that God directed the prophet Nathan to confront David with his sin. And it was only after that confrontation that David quickly repented of his sin before God. Which brings up my theme for you, coming from the text. Here's the theme. I don't think I put it on the screen, but I want you to think about this theme, and we're going to see how this is lived out in the text. We're going to see that God is gracious, and because God is gracious, then we should confess and repent of our sins against Him. And so as we come to Psalm 51, it's very easy sometimes for us to say, well, Thank God I'm not like men like David. <laughs> well, let me remind you, if, if you happen to be that kind of self-righteous kind of way of thinking, let me remind you that Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned. And that includes you and me. And you, you might say, well, yeah, but I've never committed adultery. <laughs> I've never... Uh, you know, I've never committed a sexual sin against my spouse, like adultery. Well, if again, if that's your way of thinking, let me remind you what Jesus says in Matthew 5, 28, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So, my point, ladies and gentlemen, is this, that Every normal red-blooded male in this room who, who might be listening to this on the internet has already committed adultery in his heart. By the way, that includes me. 
And probably most females as well have committed adultery in their hearts too. But I know, I know every normal red-blooded male has committed adultery in their hearts. And so we, the, the point is this, we all stand guilty and we stand condemned before a holy God. And so we can't come to a passage like this and say it doesn't apply to me. So as we come to this, put yourself in the text. Kind of replace David with you, if you will. Kind of make, as we, as we learned last week, we're going to make this homiletical bridge. We're going to bridge the, the then to the now. So put yourself in the text and see how it applies to you. Well, Psalm 51 contains David's confession of sin. It also emphasizes the importance of true repentance. You say, well, what is repentance anyway? Well, it's just literally a change of mind in regard to your sin. It's when we start to see our sin as God sees it. And that's certainly what David does here. And so it provides insight into the nature of genuine confrontation of sin in the believer's life. When we sin, we have to confess our sin immediately, hopefully with a deep sorrow, a genuine repentance. And only then can you enjoy the forgiveness that God gives as He leads to restoration with our, our relationship with God. The problem is the sin, sin puts a barrier between us and God. It, it, it's destroying that fellowship between us and God. And so as this the study of this psalm works out, what we're going to see is it's going to reveal various characteristics of genuine repentance. So what are these characteristics of genuine repentance? Well, look at the text. Number one, we're going to see the first characteristic is a knowledge of God. A knowledge of God. How can you even know what sin is without knowing God? So look at Psalm 51, verse 1. David cries out to God. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. and Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgression, and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words, and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, O God of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. 
you will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. These are the words of the living God. And we see them coming through a man after God's own heart who was a sinner. And we see David, he, he understands who God is at least a little bit. He understood in verse 1 that forgiveness with God was based solely on who God is. It's not based on human merit. It's not based on what you do or what you think you are. And David mentions, as he's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he mentions three attributes in this text. Three attributes of God. Now, God is far bigger and awesome and greater than what David mentions here. But look what the text says. The first thing that David mentions here in verse 1 is that God is merciful and gracious. As I think about mercy and grace, mercy I often think of, well, that's God not giving me what I deserve. And grace, I kind of think of the other kind of side of the coin is, that's when God gives me what I don't deserve. Those are kind of little simple definitions that I use in my own mind. I hope they're helpful. But the opening phrase is a request not for what he deserved, but for what he desperately needed, which, of course, is God's grace. Because if David got what he deserved, he'd be dead, wouldn't he? God would have killed him for his sin. Because David wasn't loving God, and he wasn't loving his fellow man, was he? So, my friends, this is a great prayer that you should pray often and earnestly. Because Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. And so we've earned physical as well as eternal death because of our sin. Therefore, you need grace because you don't want God to give you what you deserve. You don't. And so God is merciful and gracious. But number two, notice David in verse 1 also mentions that God is loving. He loves us. Oh, praise God for that. Because it's, notice, he, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my, uh, sorry, according to your steadfast love, he mentions there in that second line of verse 1. So we can praise God that God is also love. He's not just holy. He's not just a God of wrath. He's also a God of love. And so he's provided Jesus to deal with our sin. But, Verse 1 also mentions that God is compassionate. He's compassionate. That's that idea there where he mentions, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. So the first characteristic, we've seen that. The first characteristic of genuine repentance. It starts with knowing who God is. So if you don't know who God is, well, you say, well, how can I know who God is? Well, by way of application to you, just think about this. How can you know God? Well, you can know a little bit about God through His general revelation. The stars, planets, the animals, the trees, the mountains, all that stuff is declaring something about God. 
as Psalm 19.1 says, the heavens are declaring the glory of God. But you can know more about God than just by looking at His creation. You, you can know God through His Word. So my friends, if you want to know who God is, come to His Word. Even in the Old Testament, you can know a lot about God, not just through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah, you can know Jesus and His mission and what He said in His own teachings. They're helpful. But even in the Old Testament, you can read of God's ways, what He did, it is His very character. Study the names of God. All of those things, even in the stories, the narrative section of your Old Testament is there to tell you something about God and His own character. So I exhort you, come to the Word of God to find out who God is. Read some of the books in the library. Read books like The the Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Knowing God by J.I. Packer. Those are just a few books that are mentioned. You'll see them in the library. It'll be a help to you. The second characteristic of genuine repentance is also starting here in verse 1, going into verse 2, is a plea for forgiveness. A plea for forgiveness. If, If you are to truly change your mind in regard to your sin, you must plea you, you must plead before God for forgiveness of your sin. By the way, this appeal for forgiveness is pictured in three ways in the text here. There's three ways. You'll see the end of verse 1. David says, blot out my transgressions. In other words, blot out my sin. That phrase, blot out my transgressions, literally means to wipe away those sinful acts of rebellion. Just wipe them away. Take them away. As if David's sin were written by God in a book, he's pleading that his acts of sin would be removed from the record. The second picture of forgiveness is mentioned in verse 2, where David says, wash away all my sin. Wash it away. In this phrase, David's comparing himself to a piece of clothing that's been stained by some sort of filth. And so just as you might uh, get, get a piece of your clothing dirty, what do you do with that? Hopefully you don't ignore it, right? Hopefully you, you deal with that, that filth that will be on your clothing. You, you, you might scrub it, you might spray something on it, you might put it in the washing machine to, to get rid of that, that dirt or blood or food or whatever might be on your clothing. And so David prayed that God would wash away all of his sins, Reminds me of the third verse of that beautiful hymn we often sing, Jesus paid it all. I hope you love that hymn. Let me sing verse 3 quickly for you. For nothing good have I, whereby your grace to claim. I'll wash my garments white in the blood of Calvary's Lamb. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain, he washed it white as snow. That's what Jesus did through his precious blood, his finished work on the cross and his burial and resurrection for us. He washed away that stain that sin well the third picture that david mentions is in verse two where he says 
Cleanse me from my sin. Cleanse me from my sin. Well, this phrase pictured the purification that was necessary for temple worship. If you remember anything about the old ceremonial law in the Old Testament, the priests could not come before God until they had first dealt with their own sin. God was teaching us something there in the old tabernacle temple worship you see in the Old Testament. And I'd like you to listen to what Charles Spurgeon, the London preacher in England during the 1800s, what he had to say about this particular phrase. Quote, This is a more general expression, as if the psalmist said, Lord, if washing will not do, try some other process. If water avails not, let fire, let anything be tried so that I may be purified. Rid me of my sin by some means, by any means, by every means, only do purify me completely and leave no guilt upon my soul. It is not the punishment he cries out against, but the sin. Many a murderer is more alarmed at the gallows than at the murder which brought him to it. The thief loves the plunder, though he fears the prison. Not so with David. He is sick of sin as sin. His loudest outcries are against the evil of his transgression and not against the painful consequences of it. When we deal seriously with our sin, God will deal gently with us. And when we hate what the Lord hates, He will soon make an end of it to our joy and peace. End quote. I love that response. See, when we see sin as God sees it, we care more about the break of fellowship, what we've done to God, than we, than we do about the consequences. What might happen to us? So do you get the point? What's the point of all this? That all three requests expressed David's desire here for complete forgiveness by God. That's what he longed for. He knew that partial forgiveness was not going to be enough for him. And so he needed Jesus to pay for all of his sins. And by the way, so do you and I. We need the same thing. Let's move on to the third characteristic of genuine repentance. It's a confession of sin. That's what we see in verses 3 through 6. David confesses his sin before God. David was painfully aware of his sin because God used his conscience to press guilt of his sin upon his mind and his heart. And that's what sin does. That's what God God designed your conscience to do. It literally haunts our minds and wills to not leave us alone until we deal with it. So my friend, by the way, this brings up a point we need to be aware of is God gave you a conscience The conscience is kind of like the warning light on the dashboard of your car. Sometimes that warning light goes off and it might tell you to service your car or put more oil in or the engine's getting too hot or whatever it might be. And and even if you don't know how to fix it, hopefully you know where to take it to get it fixed, right? It's advantageous. It's important for you to to deal with that warning light because it's telling you if you don't, then your car is going to break down and stop working. It's, a, it's the same with us. God gave you a conscience. It'll go off like the warning light on, your, on the dashboard of your car saying, hey, you've sinned against God. 
You need to deal with that. And if you ignore it, you know, do what some people do, you know, just cut the wire, right? <laughs> right, out of sight, out of mind. I'm just going to cut the wire so there's no more light on the dashboard. Does that deal with the problem? No. Eventually, the car is going to break down. Cutting the wire is not going to fix the problem. So Sometimes we try to do that. You know, we try to push the sin out of our minds. We, we get busy or do something else. But God wants, He's giving you the conscience that's just screaming at you, saying, deal with the sin. So deal with that. When your conscience is screaming at you, deal with it. Don't ignore it. Because otherwise, the Bible says, we can sear our consciences to a point where they become calloused. And so when you keep telling God, no, 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 leave me alone, stop screaming at me, eventually you're just, it, it's going to come to a point where you're not even going to hear God anymore. It's scary. But what does David do? He confesses his sin. And the first thing we see him doing in verse 3 is he, he mentions that sin is before us. Sin is before us. Because look at verse 3. He says, For I know my transgression and my sin is ever before me. So David was painfully aware of his sin here. That's the point. He knew it. His conscience is just pressing the guilt of his sin on his mind. It's haunting him. Not leaving him alone. You might see that as a bad thing, but you need to thank God. When God does that to you, that is an evidence of His grace in your life. God wants you to deal with your greatest problem when He's, he's pressing the guilt of your sin upon you. The last thing you want to do is ignore your sin. So David says, hey, my sin's ever before me, but he also mentions in verse 4 that sin is against God. It's against God. That's when he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So David recognized his sin was not primarily against Uriah or Bathsheba or the nation of Israel. No, it's primarily against God. It wasn't against others. And he recognized his sin was treason against God since he had done what was evil in God's sight. And so I want you to notice what David did not do. <laughs> he didn't do what a lot of us do, what I too often do myself. What, 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 what do you do when, when your conscience is just screaming at you or somebody confronts you with your sin? Well, too often I blame shift. That's one of the things I do. So, you know, if my family comes to me, for example, and says, well, you know, you, you've actually sinned in this situation. Well, I might say, well, well, you know, I try to rationalize it. Uh, you know, I might try to say, well, it's actually the neighbor's fault or the dog's fault or, you know, right. Isn't that what we do? Just like Adam and Eve, it's, it's somebody else's fault or you come up with an excuse for your sin. You know, God, why did you have to make that woman so beautiful? Right? David could have done that. It's like, God, it's, it's your fault that I looked at Bathsheba and lusted after her. It's your fault because you made her beautiful. Right? Do we do that sort of thing? Yeah, we do. That's called blame shifting. 
Notice what David doesn't do as well. He didn't offer lame excuses to God. We often, I often offer God lame excuses. My, here's one I used a lot when I was in high school. It's Satan made me do it. Satan made me do it. Well, God, I sinned against you because, you know, you're the one who created Satan. So again, it's really your fault, right? No, it's not God's fault. And Satan, by the way, can't make you do anything. He can tempt you, but that's all he can do. Uh, another one might be, well, God, you know, I, I can't help it. You know, again, who, who are we blaming here? Right? I could see David saying, well, he didn't do this, but I could see David saying, well, God, I couldn't help it. You know, you made me to enjoy beautiful women. You know, so again, it's God's fault, right? No. You are the one who gave me these desires. (laughs) So stop blaming God. Accept the responsibility. Right? So David didn't do those things. He had the right response. So you, well, that's what he didn't do. Then what did he do? Well, in the text you see, he acknowledges his sin. He calls sin what it is. Too often people call sin a weakness or a disease or it's, it's, it's a result of my genes, my DNA, right? Like, well, I'm a homosexual because I was born a homosexual, right? That's just the way I was born. It's, it's all part of my DNA. Or, you know, it's, it's no longer I'm a drunk. We've now changed it to a disease called alcoholism, right? So, so I'm, I'm getting drunk because it's a disease. No, it's a sin called drunkenness, right? Do you, do you see how... How we've tried to switch things, it's really another form of blame shifting then, isn't it? So we've got to call it what it is. It's not a weakness, it's wickedness. And number three, David accepted God's verdict. Whatever God's verdict was, he was willing to receive that. And number four, he admitted that God is right to speak. He admitted that God is a just judge. Did you notice in verse 4, after he says, against you, you only have I sinned and done as one is evil in your sight. Notice what he says next. So that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David had recognizes who God is. God is just. He is right. Number three, David says that sin is within us. Sin is within us. Verses five and six says that. It's within us. Because he says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, he says. So now we're getting to the heart of the matter here then, aren't we? Notice David's not saying, it's, it's, this isn't a result of my culture. This is not a result of my environment. I can't blame sin on my environment. It's not without, it's within. And it leads me to a really important theological question. I remember discussing this one when I was uh, going to a, a Christian university in the States. We had a big discussion on this, and I'll put it on the screen here for you. Do I sin because I'm a sinner, or am I a sinner because I sin? Let me repeat the question. Do I sin because I'm a sinner, or am I a sinner because I sin? The answer to that question is very important. And David is addressing it here. Where does sin come from? 
does it come from without or from within? What makes someone a sinner? By the way, the correct answer, in case you're wondering, as David says, is I sin because I'm a sinner. I sin because I'm a sinner. Now, that may not be good news. It's not good news. But David says, hey, I'm, I was born into sin. I didn't become a sinner. I was already a sinner, even in my mother's womb. So that's the reason you and I sin. So thank God Jesus deals with our sin then. So, verse 6 shows us that David fell short of God's desire for his life. He'd been living a lie before God. By, he was attempting to cover up his sin. Could he really do that, though? No, of course not. You and I can never really cover our sin. It's, it's really foolish to try to do that. And so only a fool would try to hide his sin from an all-knowing, all-seeing God. It's, it's foolishness, which kind of reminds me. I'll give you an illustration of this. It's kind of like my children when we play hide-and-go-seek. You ever play hide-and-go-seek? It's a fun game as a child to play. The, you know, somebody's supposed to count to 20 or whatever, right? And then the rest of the group's supposed to go hide, and, and the person who's counting is supposed to go find all the people who are hiding. And, of course, you don't want to be the first person found. And so I used to play this game with my children. They're kind of getting a little too old for it now, but I remember some of my children, they, they, would, uh, they would run out of places to hide, and so sometimes they would try to hide under the cushions of the couch. And it was very funny when they would have their head and half their body would be under the cushion of the, of the couch, but you can see their legs sticking out. But they're thinking, well, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm hiding but they're actually almost fully exposed, aren't they? It was kind of humorous. They were like, Daddy, how did you find me? I thought I was hiding. <laughs> I wonder if God's that way. We think we're hiding stuff from God, but we got our legs fully exposed to Him, right? <laughs> and He can see the part under the cushion, too. It's silly. But we do the same thing. We try to hide stuff from God. You know, just sweep it under the rug and but you, there's this huge mountain under the rug. You know, it's really obvious to everyone, isn't it? So only a fool's going to try to hide sin from an all-knowing, all-seeing God. We really need to stop trying to do that then, don't we? Well, David moves on to the fourth characteristic of genuine repentance in verses 7 through 9. He says it's, it's a prayer for cleansing. A prayer for cleansing. Well, what did David pray? Well, what he prayed is the same similar thing that you and I should pray, by the way, when we sin against the holy God. And the first thing he does pray for is he prays for guilt to be cleansed. We need to pray for our guilt to be cleansed. Look at verse 7, where he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Well, that verse expresses a plea for pardon. That phrase in your text there, cleanse me with hyssop, is a, alluding to the image of a leper who would go and seek cleansing. And in such a case, the, 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 that plant, hyssop, would be dipped in blood, be sprinkled seven times on the leper as, as that leper would come to the temple and the, the priest would take that plant called hyssop, dip it in animal's blood, 
and sprinkle it. And so the animal would give his life. That innocent lamb would give its life to help others. Of course, that was looking forward to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who would deal with our sin as well. My friends, do you see the point here in the text? David saw himself as a spiritual leper in need of God's grace, in need of God's cleansing. But how would that cleansing occur? Well, the answer is the same as everybody else. Same as everybody else. Look at Hebrews 9.22 here. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Of course, Hebrews is showing us that Jesus is the best. Jesus is superior in every way. He's the ultimate answer to our sin. So, the point is this, my friends. Forgiveness of sins happens the same way today as it did in the Old Testament. The only difference is they they looked forward to the sacrifice of Christ, whereas we're looking back to the sacrifice of Christ. So the removal of David's sin would occur through the shedding of blood of the coming Messiah, Jesus Christ, and only then would David, as well as us, be whiter than snow. Number two, David prays for joy and gladness in verse 8. He prays for joy and gladness where he says, Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Now, my friend, this is the result of the forgiveness that David sought. Obviously, his whole body is aching under the heavy burden of sin. So he's even affected physically by his sin. By the way, did you notice who did the figurative crushing of David's bones? Maybe even physically crushing in a way, of David's bones? God did it. But why? Is it because God's just a mean God? He's a nasty God? Why is God doing this to David, to one of his own children, a man after his own heart? Why is he doing that? For his own good? (laughs) For his own good? David had broken his fellowship with God. What did he need? Above all things, he needed to return to that fellowship with God. So God's bringing him back to himself. David prays for joy and gladness. And then number three in verse nine, he prays for charges against him to be cleared. You look at verse nine, that second phrase, David returns to this accounting imagery here, and he knew that God must blot out all of his sins in order for him to be right with God. At all of them. Where he says, hide your face from my sins and blot out all my sins iniquities notice he says all of them and that's what jesus did on the cross my friends when he died for your sins i love what colossians 2 verse 14 says canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross it's a beautiful picture is it not my friend when jesus took your place on the cross He bore your sin. He bore God's wrath that you deserved. All those sins, past, present, and future sins, He canceled them out. He canceled the debt on your behalf. Let's move on to the fifth characteristic of genuine repentance. It's a commitment to holiness. 
commitment to holiness. We see that in verses 10 through 12. And so, if you have genuine repentance, if you have genuinely changed your mind in regard to your sin, then you're going to go beyond just putting off sin. It's not enough to just put off the sin. You've got to put something on in its place. We call this the principle of replacement. Well, the Bible well, it doesn't use that principle per se, not in that term anyway, but that's what it is. It's a principle of replacement. You're putting off something, and in its place, something of like kind has to go. That's the idea in Ephesians 4. Here, again, on the screen for you, Ephesians 4.22 says, To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So there's the principle of replacement. You put off and you put on. What do you put off? The sin, and in its place is this new self that's created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. So you put off your flesh, in its place you put the Spirit. Let's see what we're to put on here. What, what are we to desire? Well, David mentions a few things. In verse 10, for example, he says, Desire a pure heart. Where he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God. He's desiring a pure heart. So he's having already confessed his sin. He's received God's forgiveness. What's David do next? He's praying for a pure heart, that he would not fall back into his sin. See, you really haven't repented of your sin if you're intending to go back to it. If you really haven't forsaken your sin, that is not true repentance. And by the way, only God can do this kind of creating here. So what do we need to do? We need to earnestly seek God's face then. And number two, David prays for this desire of a steadfast spirit. He's desiring a steadfast spirit in verse 10. Notice the word in verse 10, renew. That word, little word renew, it's an important word. The idea is we need to constantly pray for renewal because our spirit is not steadfast something you have to pray for. It's the work of God in our lives. You know, how do we get a steadfast spirit? How are you going to get that? How are you even going to desire that? How's that going to happen? Well, I think Romans 12.2 is helpful. Here's what Romans 12.2 says. Do not be conformed to this world. That's the put off. Put that off. Conformity to the world. In its place, you put on be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So do you see the put-off, put-on, the principle replacement there? That's how it's going to happen. See? So you, you've got to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, put off something in, it, in its place. It's, it has to be replaced. See, you don't want to be conformed to the world. You want to be conformed to Jesus Christ. You will be pressed into a mold. The question is, which mold is it going to be? Is it going to be the world's mold or God's mold? The only way you're going to be conformed to God's mold, the image of Jesus Christ, is through the transforming of your thinking. 
Well, David also desires an empowered life in verse 11. And some people have used this verse to say that you can lose your salvation. But of course, that goes totally against Scripture. Scripture is very clear. You cannot lose your salvation. And David didn't fear the loss of his salvation here. What, what this is about, you say, well, what, what is it about? Well, this is a plea that God would not remove his power from him. That's why David asked God not to take the Holy Spirit from him. So what did he fear? Well, he's, he's fearing being set aside, kind of being put up on a shelf so that he can no longer serve God. And in other words, he feared being put on a shelf, kind of just being pushed aside by God. By the way, I hope you're also concerned about that. I hope you're concerned about that. See, we don't, we don't have to fear our position in Christ. That's a settled issue. But your fellowship with God does change based on what's going on with your sin. That is something we need to be concerned about. And so David desires an empowered life. And then in verse 12, uh, the fourth one he says here is he desired a joyful heart. Desire a joyful heart. Now it's important to note here that sin and joy cannot exist in the same heart at the same time. Those things are mutually exclusive. Sin and joy can't exist in the same place. And note that David did not request his salvation be restored here in verse 12. He doesn't say that. What is he requesting? He says, verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He did Hamish will, uh, Hamish will turn the alarm off and it'll be fine. Okay. So he desires a joyful heart. So notice in verse 12 he's saying, what, what he doesn't say is, restore to me your salvation. He doesn't say that. No, it's restore to me the joy. Restore to me the joy. So my question to you is, are you unhappy? Could it be that you, if that is the case then, could it be that as a believer you are harboring sin in your life? Because David's a believer here as he writes this. And as he sinned against God with his adultery and murder, he did that as a believer. So sometimes we sin against God and, and we're unhappy. We don't have joy. And the reason for that is because of our sin. God doesn't want you to be happy when you're in sin because you've broken fellowship with Him. And so He prays for this, this, this joyful heart. And then, number five, we see a des desire a submissive will. Desire a submissive will. At the end of verse 12, He says, Uphold me with a willing spirit. Now why? Well, David wanted a willing spirit or this submissive will so he could obey god's word so that he could persevere in holiness and godliness the problem is a rebellious will is not interested in doing god's will this kind of will goes right back to its sin 
The sixth characteristic of genuine repentance found in verses 13 through 17 is a dedicated life. A dedicated life. What does that dedicated life look like according to this text? Well, look at verse 13 because David says, first of all, he wanted to teach others. A dedicated life teaches others. Because in verse 13 he says, then, if my sin is forgiven genuine repentance takes place, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So once forgiven, David promised he would communicate God's truth to others. And this would, of course, include the truth that God afflicts people because of their sin. It would include the truth that there is pardon from sin. Forgiveness is possible when we confess and forsake our sin before a holy God. So my friends, let me ask you this. Will you be a dedicated Christian? Will you be a dedicated Christian? In order to be one, then you have to teach others about sin. We don't gloss over sin. We don't ignore sin. So let's do it for the purpose of seeing sinners turn back to God. The second point we see in the text in regards to a dedicated life is there's praise to God and for God in verses 14 and 15 where David says deliver me from this blood guiltiness O God O God of my salvation my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness (laughs) he's praising God so the sheer size of David's sin yes it probably continued to burden him he knew he deserved the death penalty for his sin the Old Testament said that For example, in Genesis 9, verse 6, it's on the screen here. It says, whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Why? Why do people deserve the death penalty when they murder somebody? God says it's because they're made in his image. Every human being is made in God's image. So this sobering reality caused David to seek forgiveness. Once pardoned, he was able again to open his lips to declare praise to God. I love what Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Then David humbled himself, verses 16 and 17. He humbled himself where he says in verse 16, For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. That's the right response. It's humility. See, David knew that God didn't desire just the animal sacrifices, because somebody can come with pride not willing to forsake their sin. They can come and offer, a, offer an animal sacrifice and, and not be doing that with genuine repentance. So the sacrifices that God required were a broken spirit, a contrite heart. That's what genuine repentance is all about. In other words, what David is saying here, that God desires humility. Humility before God and brokenness over sin are just the right expressions of genuine repentance. And of course, David knew that. 
The seventh characteristic of genuine repentance found in verses 18 and 19 is a passion for God's glory. Here's one way you can know if you have genuinely repented is where you have a passion for God's glory. So in verse 18 we see uh, uh, David praying for God's work to prosper. It's not about him. It's about God's work prospering. And he's, he's talking about Jerusalem when he mentions Zion. Yeah, please, somebody's turned it back on. Somebody's turned it off. Okay. So David's praying for Jerusalem in verse 18 when he mentions Zion there. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. He's praying for God's work to prosper. How about, how about you just stay back there until we're done, Hamish? <laughs> now here's the point. So, yeah, just stay back there in case that goes off again. Thanks. Now, here's the point. Character does count. Character counts. See, we, we see this idea this throughout the Bible that the sin of leaders affect people. The sin of leaders affected the entire nation of Israel. And so David prayed that God would prosper the city of Jerusalem by protecting the walls from foreign attack. And he also prayed, notice, that the nation would be renewed like he had been renewed. I want you to take note of the order here, by the way. The order is important. What comes first? What comes first? What comes first is personal renewal. Personal renewal is then followed by corporate renewal. So David deals with his sin. That had to come first before the nation. So he's praying for God's work to prosper. Number two, he prayed for God's pleasure to be full. I want you to notice the first word at verse 19. It's the word then. You say, what's the point of then? Well, the word then is showing a sequence, an order of events, if you will. And so only after David was forgiven would he be able to present the right sacrifices to God. See, somebody who's not forgiven by God, who's not living in fellowship with God, who's living in rebellion against God, cannot come and write and offer a right sacrifice to God. He had to come to God with a right heart, and only then would that burnt offering, those bulls and the sheep and so forth, be actually a delight to God. So my friends, listen to this important point here coming from this commentary. Well, I'll just tell it to you. Here's what it says, that the heart must be right before sacrifices can be right. The heart must be right before sacrifices can be right. So don't, don't fool yourself into thinking, I'm going to offer my sacrifices to God and, and think God's going to be impressed. He's not. When your heart is not in fellowship with Him, He's not impressed. So let me finish with a few questions for you. Number one, do you have a proper view of God? Because that was the first characteristic. First characteristic of genuine repentance. You, you have to have a proper view of God. You have to know some things about Him. So do you? 
do you? Because you can't genuinely repent of, of something you're ignorant about. You, you don't even know who you've offended with your sin. So we have to pray for God to open our eyes. We need to read the Bible to know who God is. And I suggest you also read good books. Some of my favorites are The Holiness of God by R.C. Sproul, Knowing God by J.I. Packer, The Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer. Of course, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and all the other books of the Bible, and you'll see who God is. The second question you need to consider is this. Do you have a proper view of yourself and your sin nature? See, after you get to know God, then you're going to start to see yourself, won't you? When you see a holy God, you'll be like the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6, where he says, woe is me. I am a man undone. I'm a man of unclean lips because I've seen a holy God. That's what happens when you see God. That's what happens when you get into the Word and God reveals Himself to you. So you have a proper view of yourself and your sin nature, then you need to practice the principle of replacement. You put off that sin, and in its place, it has to be replaced by God. Well, how do you do that? Well... I love what one preacher has exhorted us to do. You defeat sin with superior pleasure. Defeat sin with superior pleasure. That's how you defeat it. See, you're going to love something. And you need to make what is good, what is true, lovely, godly, Christ-like, to be more desirous for you than sin. That's how you defeat it. One of the ways you can do this is by preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Grab a good book like the Gospel Primer for Christians. A third question to think about is, do you spend adequate time confessing sin to God each day? Do you do that? Do you even think about your sin? One of the things I like to do is use the penitential psalms, all those penitential psalms like chapter 6, 25, 32, 38, and of course, 51. Use those psalms as your own prayers to God. A fourth question to consider is, do you believe 1 John 1, 9? 1 John 1, 9 says that God is just, God is faithful. Because of those glorious truths, God will forgive your sin. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But do you know who God is? See, when you know God, then you believe His promises then don't you and when confessing sin do you identify those specific sins you're guilty of committing that's what god wants you to do when you confess your sin it's not enough to just say well god i messed up sorry god wants he knows what your sin is he wants to hear it come out of your lips And then last of all, think about this. Do you praise God after having confessed your sins? That's what David did. He confessed his sin, and then he praises God. Praises God. Praise God for His greatness and His goodness, for, for His forgiveness, for His mercy and His grace, for His love. And, of course, you could just keep going, because God is an infinite, incomprehensible God. God's worthy of our praise. Unquestionably, the heart of the world's problems is sinfulness of mankind, then. 
The world's problem is not poverty. The world's problem is not this theory of global warming. It's not economics. It's not you, whatever else you want to fill in the blank with. But more than that, the source of each person's problem on planet Earth is their sin. And so each of us then has to set a watch over our life. And, and once sin is made known in our heart then, and God reveals that sin to you, confession must follow immediately. Which brings me to my proposition for you today. What does God want you to do with this text? Well, God wants us to confess and repent of our sin before Him. He doesn't want us to hide our sin. He doesn't want us to gloss over our sin. He doesn't want us to blame shift or excuse our sin. He wants us to recognize who He is and then respond to Him and the truth about Him. And the proper response to our sin before a holy God is to repent, to confess our sin before Him. So the good news of Jesus Christ is that there is forgiveness, a full forgiveness of sins, past, present, and future. When we run to Jesus Christ, when we're trusting Him, we're believing in Him to deal with our greatest problem, there is forgiveness because He is just and faithful to forgive us of our sins. And so the good news of Jesus Christ is that, that a full forgiveness of sin is offered to anybody even adulterers and murderers, whatever sin you might come up with, it's, it's, it's for all who will repent of their sin and come to Him. So, Do you understand this, my friend? You can't commit too many sins that God won't forgive. There is no sin so great that God will never forgive it. It doesn't exist. Because God's mercy and grace is infinite far greater than all of our sins combined. The question is, do you and I believe that? May God give us the grace to believe that and then act upon that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for Psalm 51. Thank you for giving us this example of a man after your own heart who did sin, who committed adultery and murder, who didn't love you with all of his heart and he didn't love other people as himself. But yet we see how you can deal with sin and you're a God who forgives sin. You are a gracious, merciful, and loving God. Thank you that we can never commit too many sins, that we can never commit a sin so great in, in our eyes that you will never forgive, but you're able to forgive it all through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We're thankful that Satan's been dealt with, our sin's been dealt with. All these things have been dealt with through Christ. So cause us to believe, even as believers, that believers would believe this truth, that unbelievers would run to Christ put their faith and their belief and their trust in Him and, and, and not in anything else. May they see it all as worthless for their salvation. Anything else other than Christ is worthless. Would you open our eyes, Father, that we would behold wonderful things from Your Word and then act upon them and be doers of Your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.